Welcome to the Wonder Your Way Travel Podcast. I'm your host, Lynn Neiman. I'm here to help you travel to Europe, to explore off the tourist track destinations, dig a bit deeper into those well-known places, offer up some tips so you can travel with peace of mind, and of course, to share a few stories. It's my hope to inspire you to travel to Europe your way. Guess what we're talking about again today? We're going to be going back to Scotland and we are going to be again chatting with Bo Fraser, who is a blue badge guide who happens to live in St. Andrews, Scotland. In fact, she is a native of St. Andrews. And um, if you didn't listen to the first episode with Bo, I highly recommend going back and listening, listening to episode number nine, where we talked about the lowlands of Scotland. We also talked about Edinburgh and Glasgow. It's a great episode. Episode filled with lots of off the tourist track places that we would highly recommend. But now we're going to get into more of the highlands of Scotland. Now, this is kind of more the quintessential um, places that we might think of when we think of Scotland and kind of the landscape that we kind of picture on our heads. Now, we are going to be covering the highlands in two episodes. So stay tuned for episode 13, which we will cover. cover the second half of the Highlands. But this is going to be the first episode of the Highlands. And Bo's going to explain again, kind of why we broke it down the way we did. We just wanted to be sure that we didn't end up doing a three hour episode. <laughs> just kind of we didn't think we, that would be a good idea. So we thought we would break it down into two. So without further ado, let's bring Bo Frazier, the Blue Badge Guide from Scotland back onto the podcast to start telling us all about the Scottish Highlands. Hello, and I want to welcome Bo Frazier back to the show. Uh, if you don't remember, Bo was on episode number nine, where we talked about the lowlands of Scotland. And Bo, hello. How are you today? I'm very well, Lynn, and delighted to be back. Thank you for inviting me back to talk about the highlands of Scotland today. Yeah, and we're going to kind of start, um, if you go back to episode number nine, Bo kind of explained how we kind of uh, broke down Scotland into kind of the lowlands and the highlands along the Highland Highland Geological Fault. Now we're going to talk about things that are sort of north here, and collectively, it's kind of the highlands. Some of it's maybe technically not quite, um, but we decided because there's so much up here, and because so much of this is sort of the quintessential Scotland, if you will, and the Scotland of people's dreams. There's a lot here, so instead of you know, putting out a three hour long episode, <laughs> we thought it might be a better idea to break this area down as well. Now, the one thing I do want to stipulate is we are going to do a separate episode on the islands of Scotland because there's a lot of islands. So we'll be getting to that eventually. So stay tuned. Bo's going to keep coming back and, and entertaining us <laughs> with all of her great Scotland knowledge. So Bo is going to explain how we decided to break down this kind of highland area, and then we're going to dive into the area that we're going to talk about today. 
Okay, Lynn, thanks. So you may remember, as you said, that we divided Scotland using the Highland Boundary Fault, which runs from just south of Aberdeen on the east coast, diagonally across the country to just the, the cuts across the bottom of the Mull of Kintyre on the west coast of Scotland. So that's going to be our southern boundary today. We're going to look at a bit north of that, but not everything north of that, because as you said, that's going to be too much. We'd be here for too long. So as our northern boundary this time, we're going to take another geological fault in Scotland, which is the Great Glen Fault. And if you've got a map in front of you and you see where Inverness is, now looking at Scotland, you see a big sort of sticky outy bit on the right hand side on the east coast, round from Aberdeen and then along a coast. And Inverness is just where that sort of bit of east-west running coast joins the the bit that goes on further north. So Inverness at one end and diagonally to the southwest from there to the town of Fort William. And that area is the Great Glen. We'll talk about it in a separate episode, but that's going to form our northern boundary for today. And we're going to look at everything between those two lines that I've just described. Okay, great. So so we'll be talking about like the main town over here will be Aberdeen and we'll be kind of discussing that just just kind of briefly. But there is a lot in this area. So let's get started because we kind of broke it down into kind of three area three areas within this area <laughs> just to break yep. it down further. So we're going to kind of start around this area um kind of the West Central Highlands as Bo kind of has it has it kind of labeled. So let's start in kind of the Trossachs. And this is an area that's just a, kind of a little bit north of Glasgow and this is an area that I'm a little bit familiar with because of walking the West Highland Way. I will be putting out a, a, my own solo episode on that, on my walk with all kinds of tips on that. But this is the area that the kind of, Bo is kind of almost kind of called like, it, it. a lot of this is like the Lake District. There's a lot of lakes here. Lake Lomond is is kind of the main one. There's It's a national park. And so this is a lot of outdoor stuff. And I would say in general, when you get up into the highlands in general, in all of this er- area, it even though there's a lot of castles around, there's a lot of history, but there's a lot of things to do in the outdoors, a lot of things to do in the outdoors and a lot of just natural beauty. So tell us a little bit about places like the Trossachs, Loch Lomond. There are some other smaller locks around there that I know that maybe aren't quite as famous, but are just as beautiful, if not more so. Absolutely. Yep. So again, just you've you've said correctly that this is just north of Glasgow, but it's also west of Stirling. And we finished our last episode in Stirling as the kind of gateway to the Highlands. So any of the bits that we're talking about first today are perfectly accessible for a day trip from either Glasgow or Edinburgh or Stirling if you're based in one of these places. And Because there are a great number of lochs in this area known as the Trossachs, it is sometimes referred to as Scotland's Lake District. The Lake District, of course, really is in the north of England, but this is Scotland's version, if you like. And if you're looking at a map, you'll see just north of Glasgow, there's a long, skinny loch with a sort of triangular base, and that's Loch Lomond. And I'm sure... 
lots of people are now just about breaking into song with the Bonnie Bonnie Banks of Loch Lomond. It's one of these well-known songs that, that is associated with this area. And Loch Lomond is a very beautiful loch and very popular with visitors too. You can do boat trips and things on it, but it's not the only loch in the area. And you're right, one of them that's very close to Loch Lomond that is my particular favourite is where I often take visitors, and it's called Loch Catron, made famous by Sir Walter Scott. You remember we mentioned him in our borders section, and he um, wrote about Loch Catron. And in fact, it's a very pretty little loch, again, has lovely um, boat trip, not nearly as busy as Loch Lomond, and it's very pretty. That whole area is just very nice to wander about either by car, and you can do that quite reasonably. There are some forest walks in a number of areas. You mentioned it was one of our national parks. And I should perhaps just mention here briefly, if that's okay, Lynn, that our national parks don't quite work the same way as your national parks. Mm -hmm. So in Scotland, we have no law of trespass as such. Anyone can wander anywhere in Scotland. So our national parks are not just to give people access to what wilderness areas, because you can do that whether it's a world, uh, national park or not. You can climb a mountain anywhere. But the whole purpose of the national parks is about conservation and protecting them from development and building. But it means that we do have visitor centres and ranger services and certainly throughout the summer season, things like children's events and nature walks and talks and things like that. But you don't need to pay to go into these in the same way as you would. You don't need your Golden Eagle Pass or whatever else <laughs> for a Scottish National Park. You can just, in fact, the only reason you know you're in one is that you'll see a sign at the side of the road at the boundary to say that you're now entering it. There's no gated entry or anything like that, the way there might be with some of, of the big US ones. So um, Loch Lomond and the Trossachs National Park is one such conserved area because it is very beautiful, very pretty, and the sort of area where people go, particularly from Glasgow, to spend some time in nature and to enjoy the, the natural beauty around them. Yeah, and um, I want to say that having walked along Loch Lomond for a couple of days as I walked the West Highland Way, Loch Lomond is definitely busier. It's, you know, it, it's definitely kind of the one that a lot of people go to. It is beautiful. There is There are some great walks around it. But when I looked up um, Loch Catron, it's small. I mean, it, it looks like it's a it's a pretty small lake. It feels um, more intimate, maybe is a word that I might use. So, you know, while you may be thinking, hey, yeah, I know Loch Lomond, I'm going to go there. You know, do think about some of these other kind of lesser lakes or lesser known lakes, locks around Scotland in that area that might be really good to go visit. And like you said, you know, they have cruises out on the lakes, there are trails, you know, usually there you you can get there in some way by car. Usually there's some sort of road to get you somewhere and then you can go. And it looks like there may also be some places that you can also stay along the lakes as well. 
Absolutely. There are a number of little communities. But again, we're away from the main population here, starting to find a lot more space between areas of habitation. So we're talking about little communities and bed and breakfast type um, accommodation. And actually, increasingly, especially in this time of COVID, we've had a lot of interest in camping and campsites and that type of thing. So a whole range of possibilities. Right. So now there's another town. And if I'm not mistaken, when I looked this up, this is this a little bit to the south um, in in, in Verre? <laughs> let me help you. In Verre, yeah. You know, I noticed this. Um, I have to bring this up really quick. But when I, I know this, there's a lot of places that begin with like I and like inver something. Yep. What does that mean? Does that mean something? It means it means at the mouth of. So <sighs> Inverness is the town <sighs> at the mouth of the River Ness. Now I'm not sure if there's an. I'm not aware. There may be a little little river called the Erie or something, but Inver <laughs> means at the mouth of. And huh. so you find it. You're right. You find it in a lot of place names in Scotland. Okay. That explains it. The other the other word that often appears. Uh, that also means at the mouth of is aber. So, um, but aber comes from the Welsh and oh. inver comes from the Gaelic. So, our place names have all sorts of sources. Interesting. There you go. So, yeah, Inverary is um, a little further south from the Trossus. The reason I mention it is because it's a nice pretty interesting place to visit. And if you're planning yourself a little driving, sort of self-driving exploration of the Trossachs and Loch Lomond in particular, and part of the reason that Loch Lomond is quite busy is because one of the main roads goes up the west side of Loch Lomond. If you're taking that route and you get to Aracher or um, partway, you know, so two thirds of the way up, you can take a road to the west rather than continuing right up to the the north end of Loch Lomond, and that goes over a little pass called Rest and Be Thankful. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, a steep little pass, and um, and through an area that the the people from Glasgow like to call the Aracher Alps. They're like little mini mountains, really. They're not huge Alps, but they're, it, that area is called the Aracher Alps. And that brings you through to Argyll and to this town of Inverary. Now, Inverary has a castle, which is still lived in by one of the foremost clan leaders in, in Scotland, uh, the leader of the clan Campbell. And um, it's also well known to a lot of Americans who are fans of the series Downton Abbey because there was a Christmas <laughs> special <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you remember. Yes. Two, three years ago I think they filmed a Christmas special where the family all went to stay with cousin somebody I think and the the location they used for filming that part was the Inverary Castle so it's definitely worth a visit it's it's a beautiful spot and i mention it because it's a good way to to pinpoint places that you might want to create a, a little itinerary for yourself um right. going through places that's somewhere you would want to include 
Great. And you can then continue on up the West Coast from there, should you want to. Great. Well, it sounds wonderful. And I did look, I did look that up and I was like, oh yeah, I do kind of remember that. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so another place that I know that you mentioned, and I think that you took my client here is Kilmartin Glen. Now this is a place that I would love to go because it's filled with all kinds of like ancient sites. I'm going to let Bo kind of explain a little bit more and kind of where it is. Now, is it close to Inverary? It's further north. So if you were going from somewhere central, and you could quite easily go up the side of Loch Lomond, cross over to Inverary, um, and then follow that road around. Now, you can see if you're looking at a map that the coastline there is very broken up. So it can take quite a a while to get not very far in terms of distance north because you're having to go in and out of all the little inlets on this broken coastline. So Inverary is kind of on one little bit of peninsula and you follow that coast road winding on as if you were heading up towards Oban and you will go through Kilmartin on that route. So it's over on the west coast, south of Oban, and it's an area um, surrounding a little village of Kilmartin where there have been amazing number of finds of Pictish stones and stone circles and burial cairns and all sorts of interesting stuff that we know quite a lot about some things and not so much about others. And the Picts, of course, are people that we don't know a great deal about because what they left us were a lot of stones with different markings and carvings on them. But if you ask two different archaeologists or two different historians about what these markings mean, you'll get two different answers. And it's the sort of thing that makes for interesting reading and interesting to explore as well. Mm -hmm. It's a bit of of mystery about what they meant by some of these things. Yeah, I like that excellent um, museum and visitor centre in the little village of Kilmartin, which I would recommend anyone who was planning to explore this area, make that their first stop. And from there, you can see within the museum, you can see some of the things they've found. And if you have the time to take a walk through the glen as well, they have a great leaflet with some marked paths and information to follow. So yes, I think your your client very much enjoyed the walk that we took there and we did a bit of exploring together. And yeah, it's just some very ancient history and one of these places where you kind of feel maybe the past isn't as distant as it might be. You know, you yeah. kind of feel quite close to your ancestors there, I think. Yeah, I love places like that. So I'm glad that um, that you put that one on the list. Okay, so for people that are into, so we've covered places like National, the Trossachs National Park, and the and the all the locks for our outdoor people. We've got the castle at Inveray, Inverary. <laughs> There's next to R in there. Yes, Inverary. Inverary. Yes, Inverary. And then we've got Ancient History with Kilmartin Glen. Um, You just mentioned Oban, which I know is a town. It's also a port, uh, kind of a port for jumping off to some of the islands that we'll be covering in another episode. Um, Is there, there, you know, is it a place that you would want to stay or is it really just kind of a place to kind of, is that jumping off point? 
Well, to be perfectly honest, Oban is a, a pleasant enough little town in its own right, but and you might well want to stay there, but probably if you had spent a day exploring the bits we've just spoken about and you were then planning to head out to the islands, then you might choose to stay in Oban because it's one of the few places with any great well, it's not a big place, but comparatively speaking, it has more options for accommodation and restaurants and so on. And it's a fishing port and a ferry port. And you might want to just you know, spend the night there and then head out, you know, catch the ferry the next morning to head out to the islands. But I know we're going to talk about that another time. Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's too many islands to cover. Right. <laughs> Apart from that, really... Um, Oban has, well, actually, it has a, a really nice distillery right in the middle of town. So oh, there you go. <laughs> there's a good reason to, to visit. And, you know, it's a pleasant town to wander around. But in terms of lots of things to see and do, maybe not so much. Right. Uh, but the distillery is definitely worth a visit. It's, it's a popular whiskey that they, they make there. The Oban malt is very popular and exported a lot to the States. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so that might be just a place, like you said, it might be a good place that if, you know, to spend just a night, there'd be enough to kind of keep you occupied, do a distillery tour. And then if you were going to the next morning, take the ferry over to the islands from there. So let's go a little further north from there, right? Into Glencoe. Uh, This is an area, I will be honest, this is one of the areas I just got a little glimpse of when I walked the West Highland Way. And it's like one of the top places on my list I want to go back to. It is stunning. Absolutely. There isn't really (laughs) another word for it uh, except stunning. Um, It really is a, a glorious area. And because of that, I have to say it is reasonably popular, not least because it's very accessible, mm-hmm. because one of the main routes between the Central Belt and the Northwest runs right through Glencoe. That is the, the main road. Now, again, I need to put this into a little bit of context, because when I talk about main routes in this part of Scotland, I'm not talking about a multi-lane highway here. Right. You know, most of our roads, once you get away from the central area, only have one lane of traffic in each direction. So we're talking about what in American terms would really be a small country road rather than a major highway. So please don't be put off by that. When I say that the main road goes through the Glen, it doesn't mean that you have traffic whizzing by at, you know, 80 miles an hour. It's just not possible on that road. (laughs) (laughs) But it does mean that it is accessible and lots of people who may find it harder to get out into the mountain areas on foot can still enjoy places that are wild and remote by driving there. Somewhere like Glencoe is perfectly possible for people who are less mobile to enjoy that. And so in the summertime particularly, you'll find that a lot of the pullover areas where the viewpoints and the scenic photographic opportunities are quite busy where cars are stopped and people are just out taking pictures and going, wow, look at those mountains. So just to try and paint a little bit of a word picture, um, Glencoe is quite a narrow glen. It's very, well, tour guides like me 
will describe it often as atmospheric. It's probably one of the most often used words for, for Glencoe is atmospheric. A lot of history, I'm not going to go into a lot of history about it. <laughs> Don't panic, uh, Lynn. But I will just mention as a little bit of a teaser, there was a massacre there in the 1700s. And it's quite a narrow and steep-sided glen, which is what gives it a lot of its atmosphere. There's a, a river runs through it too. There are spots where you can stop and enjoy waterfalls. And it's often referred to as being a part of Scotland that was sculpted by fire and ice, because geologically, this was an area where there were a number of volcanoes. And then the glaciation that we had over several geological episodes have created this very distinctive landscape of sort of fairly steep-sided, um, pointed hills and mountains. Really. Yeah, it's, it's very like rugged and jagged mountains, and it and like you said, that that valley and that's then Valley Glen, same thing. It's very narrow. Yeah, and I know when I came through there, it was. A nice, very nice day, and it was a Saturday, and it was packed. <laughs> this right. was May. It was a nice day. Everybody was out. People were out taking walks and hikes or just, you know, looky-loos, just like you said, on the side of the road. It was very busy. So Bo is correct in that it is a very popular place, especially if you get a nice day in the warmer weather, you know, probably May through September in particular. It, it's very popular, but oh, boy. It, the little bit that I saw just wet my taste buds. It's beautiful. Yeah, because, and I'm not trying to steal your thunder here for your, your podcast about the West Highland Way, but the, the West Highland Way just kind of dips into the mm -hmm. eastern end. Is that right? And then yeah. I think one of the steepest sections is as you kind of climb north out of Glencoe to go right. over to Loch Ranach. If I say that that bit is known, I believe, as the Devil's Staircase. Yeah. It it, you know, it, it's it's steep, but to be honest, you know, when I read that and I saw it was the devil's staircase, I thought, oh my God, <laughs> this is going to be horrible. It's just a bunch of switchbacks. It's like I say, it's a slog uphill, but then you kind of go over and then you kind of head towards, um, you, you go down into uh, Kinlochleven. So you're going down towards Lochleven. Yeah. But that area, like hiking through that area and is like going up Devil's Staircase and, you know, you kind of get up to the top. And so you get this view in, into Glencoe a little bit. It, it, I just looked and I went, oh, I need to come back. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there there was quite a bit more of the Glen further west than, than you would be. Yes. And uh, my recommendation and what I personally do with guests is always drive from east to west through Glencoe if I can. Mm -hmm. it, it's just as stunning, really, coming the other way. But I think you get a, a better feel for it going from east to west. And it will bring you down to sea level uh, at the, the western end at Balahulish. Mm -hmm. And you can then continue on up the, the coast road to Fort William. But uh, no, despite being a busy and popular area, I would still recommend it as being somewhere that you can't really miss if you if you want to see a lot of Scotland. It's a bit that's really a must see. Yeah. A bit like we said with Edinburgh Castle or Edinburgh itself, you know, it is the capital. And likewise, Glencoe 
very well known, very popular, but you really need to see it. Yeah. And it does, it's not that hard if you have the time to just park up at one of the places like at King's House, mm-hmm. which I think has probably been developed since you were there, Lynn. I think it's it has a, too, yeah. A, an excellent place to base yourself for that area because it has, within the one hotel, it has everything from bunkhouse right up to smarter suite accommodation right. and a, a nice bar and restaurant and that kind of thing. And you can park up there and then walk from there into the hills and you will soon lose people. <laughs> in terms of, yeah. I mean, what I really mean is you'll get away from people you'll get away from the crowds I, mean, <laughs> I knew what you meant <laughs> yeah 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 I mean and, and that's and that's kind of a good point too is that you know if you are an active person an outdoors person and you can get out on some of the trails and get away you will lose some of the crowds because some yeah. of the people are just going to be like you said along the roads and the pullouts and maybe something that that they can a view or a waterfall that's really close by that they don't have to walk very far to but when you get out onto the trails a little bit more yes you are going to as you said lose people <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's I should right. have said get away from people <laughs> yeah. lose the crowds get lose away the crowds there people. you go yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that kind of covers that little section mm-hmm. of the Highlands. So now we're going to kind of head a little bit to the east, maybe a little yeah, bit. Yes, so I think we're oh. going to come back over. We'll, we'll sort of stop at Fort William because, as I mentioned at the beginning, Fort William is at the the western or southern end of the Great Glen. And we're going to now explore this section of uh, Scotland a little bit further east towards the, the centre, the sort of central highlands bit. And if we kind of come back to Stirling again and then head straight up from there, a bit further north, we would come to an area called Balquidder. It looks as if it should be Balquidder, and there are all sorts of um, discussions about how to pronounce it, but... One of my colleagues lives in that area, and she usually says Balwhidder, so I go with Balwhidder, as if the Q was a WH. All right. (laughs) Okay, and this is Rob Roy country. Do you remember that movie with Liam Neeson? You know, tell you. You you know, there's there's a Rob Roy Rob Roy away as well. So tell us, just yeah, give us a brief. uh, I don't remember exactly who he is. So oh well, Rob Roy is sometimes thought of as being sort of like the Scottish Robin Hood in a way. He was a real figure uh, in history in in Scotland who had a dispute with authority, shall we say. (laughs) And depending on your point of view, he was either thought of as a real hero and a, a, a great supporter of the ordinary person or... If you look at it from the other point of view, he was a cattle rustler and a bit of a thief and a bat- vagabond, really. So, you know, take your pick. But this is where he was. This is this was his okay. part of Scotland, okay. and this is where his activities went on. And if you Google Rob Roy, you can you can read up all about him. I, I won't tell the sto- all his stories here, but th- they did make a movie. Of course, they did uh, about it, and it's called Rob Roy. And it's yeah, it's it's okay. It tells a little bit of the background of how he got into the situation he did. But he's buried uh, in this area 
in Bochwider, and it is known as Rob Roy Country. Okay. So, again, lots of lakes. <laughs> You've got me calling them lakes now. Oh, sorry. Locks <laughs> are called locks, everybody. Locks, They're locks. Locks. Yes. locks. <laughs> yes. We actually have one lake in Scotland, and it's called the Lake of Menteith, but all the others are loch this or loch that. Right. Yes. Yes. And not, not L-O-C-K, L-O-C-H, so it's a <laughs> loch. Right. Yeah. So Loch Tay and Loch Ern are uh, particularly pretty and they are lochs that have a, a more main road on one side, in fact, on the northern side of them. And on the southern side is a much smaller meandering road. But both these lochs, if you happen to find yourself in that area and you're trying to decide which route to take, I would suggest trying the southern road on either Loch Tay or Loch Ern because it gives you great views. It's very quiet. But it is one of those roads that is only a single track. And oh. that's a whole challenge. <laughs> yes, it is. Of driving in Scotland. And Lynn, I think you've done a bit <laughs> yes, of that. Yes, I have. <laughs> I've, driven, I've driven in Scotland. Yes, it's, it's a challenge. But, you yeah. know, you know. We have quite a number of these little roads. And basically, they're quite enough roads that there's not so much traffic that they need to have a, a lane in each direction. So they just have one lane. And every... 100 yards or so, maybe a bit more, there's a passing place where the road is wide enough to allow traffic to overtake. So you drive along at a steady pace with an, an eye on where the next passing place is going to be. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, the basic rule is if it's on your side of the road, you go into it. Mm -hmm. So um, basically, if, if uh, you come up to a passing place, you go into it. If it's on your side of the road, you do not cross to the other side to go into one. You just stop opposite and the person coming the other way goes into the passing place and the two vehicles pass each other. And it works perfectly well as long as you're keeping an eye on what's going on. That's right. You got to pay attention. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so both these roads are like that. So if you don't fancy that, stick with the main road on the other side of, right. of these locks. But it's yeah, a they, pretty area. It looks gorgeous. Mm. Yeah. But if we come a little further east from there, we come to the A9, and the A9 is the main road which connects right. Edinburgh with Inverness. Now, again, I go back to what I just said. This is not a major highway. It has been improved in recent years so that there are now long sections in places where there are two lanes in each direction. So that allows the traffic to speed up and break up a bit. And if you get stuck behind a big truck, you can get past it on these two lane um, highway sections. But otherwise, it's just one lane in each way, but it is this main route. And so it's often the corridor that that is most people's access to the northern parts of Scotland if they're coming from Edinburgh. Right. And there are all sorts of, well, there's a whole series of, of little towns along the A9. In more recent years, as the road has been improved, they've been bypassed. So you have to actually turn off the, the main the main road and, and drive into them. And one of these that I would recommend stopping at is called Pitlochry. And Pitlochry is a pretty little town, became very popular, particularly in the Victorian era, in the, the mid to late 1800s, as a, a, a nice um, place to visit and appreciate the highlands. So it has a couple of distilleries. We've got those all Yay! over the place. So <laughs> a couple of distilleries. I'm a fan. <laughs> yeah. And quite a number of hotels and bed and breakfast. But again, I 
don't think any of them are major chain hotels. They're not yeah. big brand names that you would That's recognize. Um, but they have a lot of B&Bs and cafes and restaurants and nice little shops. But because it's quite a an accessible and pretty little place with quite a lot of facilities, you also find quite a number of the coach tours will stop off there. So it can Ooh. be in the summertime <laughs> quite busy. And so if you're looking at a stop off area uh, in that sort of um, part of the A9, I would suggest just keep going past Pitlochry and turn off at Blair Athol, which is the next little village further north. And Blair Athol has a castle which is worth a visit. Yay, castles. It has a much smaller village, but it has a really interesting restored working water mill where they grind and you can buy their own flour right there. Oh, wow, that's and nice. And they use it for baking the things in their cafe and tea room. And it's a really nice spot to stop yeah, off Yeah, it sounds like it. I, I did I did look it up. You sent over this list and I looked it up and I was like, oh, that's my kind of place. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. definitely. Yeah. 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 And if you don't have time to go in and explore Blair Athol as a village itself, then between just between Blair Athol and the A9, there is a, a kind of stop-off point which isn't it doesn't welcome coach parties, so it's quieter. Yay! It's just <laughs> and it's called the House of Brewer, and it has really nice quality, high-end Scottish goods for sale, as well as a really nice restaurant and a cafe. You can pick up gifts, clothing, uh, foodstuffs. A really nice food hall. It's a nice stopping-off spot. I actually usually make a little journey there before Christmas each year, from okay. here even. Yeah. So, you know, that's it, it's it's another place worth mentioning. Okay. And then west of Pitlochry, you've got a place called the Queen's View that you wrote yeah. down. So if you head from Pitlochry west um, a little bit, you will come to another forestry commission area. Now, the Forestry Commission is a, a government organisation that owns most of the woodlands and forestry that you see in Scotland. Mm -hmm. And because they are who they are, they also have visitor centres and visitor facilities. So it's the sort of place that you can find bathrooms and um, sometimes coffee shops and certainly a bit of information about the area that you're in. And they have a nice overlook uh, with a view down the loch, and it's called the Queen's View. It looks down Loch Tamil. And Queen Victoria assumed that they had called it after her, but actually it was called <laughs> the Queen's View long before Queen Victoria saw it. It was a much earlier queen, they think probably the wife of Robert the Bruce, so a way back in the ah, 1300s yeah. that she was around. So uh, it's, it's just a nice stop off spot if you want to have a little view. And if you carry on further west from there, you will come to Ranach Moor. Mm. And Ranach Moor is an area of true Scottish wilderness. There are roads that skirt the east and west side of it. And there's a railway, one of the most remote bits of, of railway that runs kind of across the northern edge of it a little bit. Um, and it's it's absolutely true wilderness. But what's interesting is that if you can if you drive out uh, along the side of Loch Rannoch and you go to Rannoch Station, then at Rannoch Station there is a tea room on the station platform, which is just 
wonderful. Lots of walkers and people who want to really get into the wilderness will take the train to Rannoch Station, have some soup and a sandwich or some cakes and coffee, and then head off walking into Rannoch Moor. And uh, so it's a really nice place to go. I have to confess, I've gone there by car and had a really nice cup of coffee and a cake and a little walk around and then gone back home again in the car. But, you know, <laughs> I wasn't doing a big outdoorsy thing that day. But well, I... Yeah, I was going to say, uh, um, like, I know that I think the West Highland Way just kind of skirts the western edge of Ronick Moor. So, yeah. um, so I kind of got, I would say, maybe a little taste of what this area is is probably like and I want now I want to go back and you know cuz when Bo and I kind of talked about it I was like oh I didn't really see Ronick more because the guidebook kind of makes you makes it sound like you're going right through <laughs> through it but evidently you're not Bo's like oh, I don't think so and and I'm like <laughs> let me look this up and so I was looking at it and I'm like oh my god yeah it just kind of skirts along it and so then when I kind of looked looked up and really kind of saw more of what Ronick Moore was I was like I need to go back and I'd be one of those people with the backpack on and you know have and a, yeah. a, a spot of tea or something before I took off and I'd be going out and, and exploring it. Because really, to me, this is some of that quintessential Scottish landscape with, with the moors. And when I walked the West Highland Way, it was too early for the heather to be out. So I was kind of, I was a little disappointed not to see all the purple heather everywhere. But if you time it out, you'd be able to, to see that. And I mean, it's ju- they're just such beautiful, beautiful places, these moors. I mean, they're yeah. just, you know, it's like, you know, you get some boggy land, there's a little... Um, what are the little locks called? Lo- I, I almost well, said lockets. Lockins. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Lockins. Um, yeah. And so they're like everywhere, you know, a lot of wildlife and everything. So they're just stunning places to get into the outdoors and really appreciate what Scotland is all about, especially this piece of Scotland. Yeah. Ranachmoor, particularly, just to echo what you were saying, is one of these areas where I like to say sometimes that the hand of man is very light. You, you cannot see much impact from man at all because the telephone wires, the telephone lines follow the railway. There, there are no roads. There is a, a track, and there will have been for centuries a track, mm-hmm. which is basically the, the footpath that you can take from Ranach Moor through to Glencoe. But let me just offer a word of warning. This is not an afternoon stroll. This is a major hike. You need to be prepared for potentially extreme weather and changes in weather and um, quite a strenuous hike. You know, it's not just a, oh, let's just go and walk from Ranapur to to Glencoe. This is quite a serious walk to do. And because it's remote, you may not have good cell phone coverage and you will not necessarily meet a lot of people. So you need to be ready to be kind of self-sufficient. This is true out in the wilderness stuff in Rana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I would say you're going to be very exposed to any elements. So if the right. if the weather turns, like if it starts off being nice, it could turn. Um, you're going to be kind of, you know, out of luck as far as that goes too. So, so yes, proceed with caution with something like this. Yeah, but worth seeing. And if you don't want to do the full backpack carrying all your gear, major hike, just take the car or or the train to Rannoch Station and you'll get a taste of what it's like on, right. on the moor. And indeed, 
for if you're on the road we just mentioned going up to Glencoe or on the West Highland Way, as you do that section just before you get to the, the top of Glencoe and you look east, you will see the moor stretching away from uh-huh. you. So you get a yeah. feel for what it's like, what it's right. going to be like. You, you see it just, you know, kind of, it's a big area, a big yeah. area. Yeah. yeah. But if we come back to the A9 again and head a little bit further north, uh, we come to another village just off the the main road called Newton Moor. And it's one of my favourite stopping points with visitors too, because they have a fantastic outdoor museum here and it's free. Ah, free. So yeah. you, you can turn up. Don't go too early. I was almost caught out one day. It doesn't open till 10am. So, you know, when I arrived at sort of uh, 9.45 and I thought... <gasps> They were just opening up, so it was fine. And they have a great visitor centre too, and a lot of houses from different eras across Scotland. And in fact, if we we've managed to go this whole time so far without mentioning Outlander, but I'm about to mention it now. (laughs) (laughs) They filmed part of Outlander there because they have a village of quite early housing. In fact. I say early housing, but people lived in in houses like this with the low roofs and thick stone walls and thatch heather thatching on the roof until well into into the nineteen hundreds. So you know it's it's not just as uh, far distant in the past, but they have buildings that are interesting that are real buildings that may not have been in that area but have been moved from other parts of Scotland and brought together and reconstructed in this area. So it's fascinating to to take a wander around, everything from a farm to a schoolhouse to this much earlier style of housing in the in the village that they have at one end of the museum. So I would definitely recommend that. Okay. Sounds good. So now we're going to go into another national park. And this is one that I would love to go to because it's kind of sits, I feel like it sits almost like right in the central area of the highlands. Yeah, you, you're right. Most of it is to the east of the A9, although there's a little bit to the west. And these, these towns that I've mentioned, uh, the little town of Newton Moor and also Aviemore, which isn't that far away, they are right on the edge of the Cairngorms National Park. In fact, they may even be considered to be in it. And that's the way most people would access the park. But the Cairngorms National Park encompasses the the Cairngorms Mountains, the mountain range. And it's really, as you said, it is kind of right in the middle of that widest bit of Scotland, just Mm -hmm. west of Aberdeen and uh, kind of between Aberdeen and uh, the A9 is where the Cairngorms National Park is. Yeah, it looks stunning. There's a l- lot there, a lot to explore. Now, you also said it sounds like, so the A9, the, the kind of the, the main road that goes through there, but it looks like that area, you know, there's some smaller roads over kind of to that eastern area. And I'm kind of curious if that's sort of the better place to go because it would be a little less accessible. Maybe you'd have less people there. It kind of depends where else you're going in Scotland and wh- which route you're taking. If you're going to be over in Aberdeenshire, then or Deeside or Braemar, then you can you're on the east side of the Cairngorms National Park there. You can access things on the east side from Braemar. You can access it from Newton Moor and from Aviemore. And that's probably the most popular area. 
to get to get into the park. But it kind of depends the time of year that you're there. If you're going for skiing, because one of our main ski areas mm, right. is uh, not far from Aviemore in the Cairngorms, then you would want to go from the, the, the western side, from the A9. But if you're going to enjoy walks and some of the maybe quieter areas, then going from Braemar is good too. But Braemar and Aviemore are not correct connected by road. So you need to have decided from, from further south gotcha. which <laughs> route you're going. You're either going up more the eastern side or you're going up the central bit on the A9. But either way, you'll you'll hit the Cairngorm National Park at some point. It's yeah. really worth just mentioning here um, that there is a good website for the National Park and it identifies all the different activities from nature walks to uh, lower level walks, interesting things to do with kids or more grown up things to do if you if you want more serious mountain climbs and and steeper walks or gentler shorter walks and you can play golf as well so all these things really? are available <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. There's, so, a, there's a golf course in the park well <laughs> the park covers a wide area Great area yeah the, you know closer to the the towns and the lower level bits gotcha. so, yes yes yeah, so there's there's golf course there too um but on the other hand, in Scotland, we have um, mount, a series of mountains that are called Munros. And a Munro is a mountain that is over 3,000 feet high. And a lot of Scots who are into hill walking and mountain climbing have a list of these Munros. There are 282 of them. And they tick them all off. It's called Munro bagging. bagging yeah. So, <laughs> I've heard so, it. <laughs> yeah. So if you're into hill walking, and you want to bag some of the Munros, there are, I think, I believe about 50, 55 Munros within the Cairngorms National Park. Wow. Now, in our next episode, when we're talking about the far northwest, the Munros up there are much more sort of individual mountains, whereas in the Cairngorms, it's more ranges and peaks within uh, a ridge so you can kind on. of you can kind of go can yeah kind of one day right right yeah. yeah yeah but the highest mountain in scotland is ben nevis which is over near fort william in fact it's the highest mountain in the whole of the uk and it's just short of four and a half thousand feet but four of the next highest ones are in the cairngorm national okay. park there you go so there's something for everyone either sailing in the lochs at a lower level or getting up to the top of the mountain range. And if you want a bit of, of help getting up there in the summertime to the chairlifts normally work at the ski centre. and that Oh, there you go. So that, uh, that's a good way to cheat. <laughs> <laughs> I see that Ben say that one of the things that, that um, ecologists and, and naturalists get excited about with the Cairngorms is because of its situation. It has just about every type of habitat that you will find in Scotland from Arctic at the top of the mountains down to the lower level uh, where we have much more temperate environments hmm. and yeah. growing conditions. So again, it's the sort of thing, even if you are taking the easy route to the top, take a jacket. If it seems a summer day at the bottom, it may be chilly at the top because right. it be, you know, the weather can change pretty quickly. Yeah. Okay. So um, I think we're going to kind of start heading maybe a little bit east from here. Am I correct? 
that we well, want to come? Yes, we, we mentioned Aberdeen. So if we go um, from the Cairngorms National Park further east towards the city of Aberdeen, and Aberdeen is really the only city of any size in this whole northern part of Scotland. Inverness is pretty big, but not as big as Aberdeen. And these two are the two main centres. Everywhere else is pretty small. So anyone living in this northern part of Scotland that we're talking about today and we'll be talking about the next time, if they need any serious medical or surgical care, then Inverness or Aberdeen is where they would go. There's not a lot of way of big hospital facilities or major retail or com- commercial centres anywhere else in Scotland. So, but to the just to the west of Aberdeen is an area called Royal Side. Now, I mentioned earlier that Aber means at the mouth of, and Aberdeen is the city that's at the mouth of two rivers, the River Dee and the River Don. The River Don ru- runs slightly further north than the River Dee, but both of them run basically from the west towards the east coast and converge just really at Aberdeen. So it's the slightly southern one, the River Dee that I'm talking about here, Royal Dee side, is so-called because it was made popular by Queen Victoria. And this is where you'll find the castle that Prince Albert built at Balmoral is on Royal Dee side. So that made it popular with a lot of other wealthy Victorians who would buy estates and uh, develop summer homes along this area. And it means that there's a lot of history and a lot of interesting things to see in little small towns along the the road that runs beside the river, the River Dee, west from Aberdeen. And there are lots and lots of castles. Now, some of these are pretty old or the oldest bits are pretty old, but they were developed by a lot of these uh, Victorian landowners. And there are places like Crathus Castle, Criggivar Castle, and of course, how can I not mention Castle Fraser? <laughs> for, for Outlander fans, I'm is it? I'm sure that no, it's no, no, no it's, nothing to do with Outlander. Just, just a coincidence. It's me, it's me that's the Fraser. How can I not mention Castle oh, Fraser? Right. <laughs> I'm thinking Jamie Fraser. I'm like, I'm talking to a Fraser. <laughs> <laughs> and there's and yeah, of course. Is, is it any is it any relation? Do you know what Jamie somewhere? No, no. This yeah. Castle, Castle Fraser. Oh yeah, no, no. The Frasers are a huge clan, and, and uh, of course, I married into them. So, um, no, my husband's Frasers are the Highland Frasers. The Frasers that you find in this area in Aberdeenshire okay. are not the Highland Frasers. They're a yeah. different part of the clan, and they didn't always see eye to eye. So, um, oh, okay. that's definitely not our <laughs> castle. That one. <laughs> yeah, you know, I noticed there. Like, I, I was looking when I saw this, I was like, oh. I don't know this area. And I was looking and and when I looked at the map, I was like, and there's another castle and there's another castle. So, you know, this is definitely would be a great spot to go. And my guess is it's not all very touristed by, you know, the Americans and the Canadians, you know, you're probably not going to get a ton of people over there. And there are a lot of castles. So if castles are your thing, something tells me that this, this Royal D side area kind of between the, the, the Cairngorms, I always, yeah, I'm never Cairngorms, sure, Cairngorms, Cairngorms and, and Aberdeen in this yeah. area, this would be a really great place to go. Is it kind of more rolling hills a little bit here or? 
Yes. Um, you're starting to get closer to the more fertile areas of the East Coast. Um, so the bits we've been talking about so far today, you, you'll find farms definitely, but there'll be mainly hill farms with sheep on right. them. There won't be a lot of cultivated land. As you get closer to Aberdeen, Aberdeenshire is known for good farmland and they have a lot more cultivation and you'll start to see proper fields and commercial crops and things right. there. So yes, a lot of, of forestry and gentler hills. The River Dee itself is very beautiful and very popular for salmon fishermen, fly fishing yeah, for yeah. salmon on the River yeah. Dee. So a lot of Scots like Royal Dee side, but you're absolutely right. A lot of our overseas visitors don't See a see much of it unless they're determined to go to uh, see Balmoral, which you can visit when the Queen's not there, right? Which is most of the year except for August. And just mentioning August reminds me when you spoke earlier about heather. Mm -hmm. Heather blooms in August, so okay. you will if if you're planning a trip and you want to see purple hills, and they literally are purple with the blooming heather, then August is the month to plan your trip. And that's when you'll see that colour. Probably the sort of, not right at the beginning of August, the, the second half of August and maybe into early September if you're fortunate, but there's quite a narrow window. Yeah. So yeah, lots of things to see and do, but not quite as rugged terrain on right. the side. No. Right. But there are forest walks, mountain biking, a little bit like the borders that we mentioned before. Uh, Glen Tanner Estate has all these things, and that's not far from Royal Side as well. It's just the, the same kind of area. Yeah. It, and, I mean, it, yeah, it sounds just really, it, it sounds like a delightful area. Like I said, it's it, like kind of like the, the, the Scottish borders doesn't see as many people, but there's there's still a wealth of things to do between outdoor pursuits, walking, cycling, and then you've got all these castles, uh, you know, and then you've got fly fishing and, you know, all types or all types of fishing for people. I know my friend that I met on the West Highland Way who lives in Glasgow, my, my buddy, Andy, shout out to Andy, yeah. <laughs> who I can't understand half the time, but he's, a, he loves to fish. So, um, so I, I have the feeling he's probably been over there. So, yeah. Right. And um, what I should say also is that along this this road and along the River Dee, there are several smallish towns, villages, really big village, small town, not sure quite <laughs> how you'd define them. But it means that there are communities where you will find cafes and B&Bs and small hotels, places to stay, none of them very big, but there is a bit more population along here than you might have found, or well, certainly than you would find in the, the central area in Balfour right. or, or yeah. yeah, great. So do we want to just kind of give a, a little mention of maybe some of the things like right around Aberdeen or, I mean, yeah, I know that it's not, briefly. yeah, briefly, yeah. Um, Aberdeen, known for its university and, well, it has two now and it's a nice town but became very busy in more recent years with the oil boom. Uh, it was historically known for having a big fishing fleet. As the fishing declined a little bit, the oil boom started, and it's the, the jumping off point for access to the North Sea where our oil drilling areas are. Right. So it's quite a cosmopolitan town because all the big international companies set up offices there. There is an international school there for high school 
aged kids. And so a lot going for it in Aberdeen. But old Aberdeen, like so many of our bigger cities, grew up around the cathedral. And if you're spending any time and popping into Aberdeen, I would go and take a little walk around old Aberdeen. It's where the oldest bits of the university are and where the cathedral is. And that's worth a bit of an explore. Yeah. Aberdeen's also a jumping off point for people either flying from the airport there or getting the overnight ferry up to the islands off our north coast, the Orkney Islands and Shetland. You can also get there from a ferry further north, and we'll talk about that another time. But if you don't want to drive all the way up to the north coast, you can get an overnight ferry from Aberdeen. So sometimes people decide they're going to do that. And we'll find that they then have an afternoon and an overnight or something in, in Aberdeen before they they catch the ferry. Sorry, they won't have an overnight because the ferry goes overnight. But, you know, you arrive yeah. in the lunchtime, you spend the afternoon, you catch the ferry, you head on north. Yeah. Just south of Aberdeen, if you happen to be going to that area up the coast road, so from Dundee going up towards Aberdeen, you'll pass through a little town called Stonehaven. And just north of Stonehaven, between there and Aberdeen, is one of our most charismatic, interesting and spectacular castle ruins in Scotland, and that's Dunotter. Now, the castles we were talking about in Deeside are not ruins. They are, on the whole, still, if not inhabited, they're habitable. So you're seeing furnished rooms with you know, historical paintings and tapestries and all that sort of thing, and lovely gardens. Donotter is not that. Donotter is now in ruins, but it's a spectacular ruin. And it's well worth the walk to it. I looked it up and I and I I have a you want to go there. (laughs) I have in my notes, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Exclamation points because it sits out like it's like up on this cliff. The the it's just breathtaking, like the, yeah. the the location of it. So um, I would put that high on the list if you're gonna maybe be coming up from from like the the Fife Saint Saint Andrews area yeah. where where Bo is, and if you went up the east coast towards Aberdeen, you could stop there. And wow, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And actually, um, it, you know, if if you're just wanting to do a day trip from somewhere like St. Andrews, you can do that and take in, you could go to Donotter and then take in Graham's Castle that we spoke about last time and take a drive around and a, a loop and end up back in St. Andrews. But if you're heading up to Aberdeen or up to the northeast there to do other things as part of a longer tour, then stop off at Donotter, oh, even yeah. if you don't actually walk down the steep bit and up the, the steep bit <laughs> on the other side of the, the little sort of valley bit that separates this promontory from the mainland, really, and the castles out on the promontory. Even if you don't walk out there, you can get great photos and a great idea of it just from the car parking area uh, on the mainland. It's definitely worth a stop. Oh, spectacular. Yes, very much so. Okay, so we're going to kind of get maybe into our last little section that we're going to cover today. And this is kind of fun because we get to talk about whiskey. (laughs) (laughs) Because one of the areas we're going to talk about, and for people who don't know, you may be like, what are you talking about? But Speyside, and if my brother's listening, shout out to my brother, because I know he he's he likes um, some, his Scottish whiskey. The Speyside area is, is one of the areas that we're going to talk about. So we're going to kind of come 
kind of go maybe a little further kind of back to the west, but we're kind of up up north here, kind of north of the the Carngorms and um, hit some of the the area there up along the coast. And the Speyside area is well known for a lot of distilleries and for a specific type of whiskey. Um, and we're going to be talking about a few other places, but let's let's start with Speyside. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, it's called Speyside because it's the side of the River Spey, and the River Spey rises actually west of the A9 and and uh, runs up past Newton Moor and then comes out uh, to the sea just, well, actually the, the spot that it does is Spey Bay, which is on that north coast that seems to run along almost east-west towards Inverness. And that coastline is called the Murray Coast because that part of Scotland is Murrayshire. So this, the River Spey historically has had a lot of distilleries and still does have a lot of distilleries along it. And there's a walk a long distance walk as well, mm-hmm. the Spain yes. Way. And because of the type of landscape and the type of water, which actually is a little bit of a myth when I start <laughs> talking about that, and you have a particular characteristic of whiskey that is distilled mm-hmm. in Speyside. And all Scotch whiskey is not the same. It varies from part to part of the, the country for all sorts of reasons. Yes. And it's not true that it's because of the water. It's what people tend to believe it's because of the water, but it's not not just that at all. And um, so Speyside is one of these areas and uh, it has its own category of whiskey because it has so many distilleries. And lots of people come to do distillery tours and tastings and samplings all along there. There are three of the distilleries particularly, sorry, two distilleries and one other that I would especially recommend. One, because it's quite traditional and uh, still has a very historic type of building that you can visit because all the distilleries, although they're still fully functioning, busy commercial places uh, producing one of our biggest exports from Scotland, they do also almost all run visitor tours and they have good guides who will show you the process of how whiskey is distilled and then allow you to sample some of the whiskies that they produce. So one of the good ones is Glenfiddich. Now, I have heard people in America call it Glenfiddich, but it's mm-hmm. not Glenfiddich, it's Glenfiddich. <laughs> okay, so you learned something new. <laughs> <laughs> and the Glenfiddich distillery does a, a really nice tour, and its buildings are still quite old stone, traditional distillery, distillery buildings. And like so many of the distilleries, it also has a nice coffee shop and, yeah does all sorts of good things. So it's worth stopping off at. Now, in complete contrast to that, another whiskey that's familiar to a lot of our American visitors is called the Macallan. And Macallan has a very new, well, it doesn't have a new, it has a new distillery building now. It it hasn't just started distilling. It it has a new building, which has won a lot of architectural awards and is very stunning in its design. So that's a complete contrast to Glenfiddich, but it has also won huge acclaim for its visitor experience. It's just on the other side of the Spey. And then close to the Glenfiddich distillery is the Speyside Cooperage. And I visited that for the first time just last September. And that is a fascinating place to see where they they 
put together the barrels that are imported to put the whiskey in to mature. Ah. So a cooperage is, is where they make barrels. But what you may or may not know, without wanting to go into lots of detail about whiskey production, is that whiskey is never matured in a new barrel. It's always in a barrel that's been used for something else. Now, in America, your bourbon is always, yeah. always matured in a new barrel. New barrel. <laughs> so what do you do with the old ones? Well, what you do send it, is send it to, send it to Scotland. Scotland. <laughs> you send it to Scotland and, you, and we then use them for maturing our whiskey. And we also use wine casks and we use other... Sherry uh, casks. Ports, sherry ports, casks. Yeah. yeah. And these all add to the characteristics of the whiskey in the way that it's dealt with after it's actually distilled when it's going to sleep because it can't call itself whiskey until it's been matured for at least three years and a day. So um, lots of barrels. But when the barrels come in, they need to be checked that they're intact and that they're going to be usable. And so what you can do at the Cooperage is go and from the public viewing gallery, watch and have a, a guide explain to you what they're doing down on basically on the factory floor. Watching these guys work is just amazing because as you probably know, barrels are just held together by a couple of uh, metal hoops and, you know, they take barrels apart, they put them together and they're doing this in sort of, it seems like seconds. So it's a fascinating, it doesn't sound very interesting, but it actually is a very interesting place to visit. Yeah, you know, I watched a recent, it's a documentary, and I might have told you about this, but um, it was about, I think I found it on Amazon, um, Amazon Prime, and it was about about whiskey distilling. And they did cover, they did show some of the barrels and how they they make the barrels, and and that it was it is really fascinating. So I, I would I would second Bo's recommendation to you know, if you're into this, to go and check it out, because even the making of the barrels is pretty interesting. So, yeah. yeah. And at the very least, they do have a very nice gift shop and coffee shop too. So <laughs> <laughs> if you're not so interested in the barrels, then yeah. you know, just have a quick look at that and then go and yeah. have a <laughs> Yeah. But this would be an area I would say too that, um, you know, Bo mentioned there is this long distance trail that, uh, that they've kind of, um, I don't know if it's probably kind of always been there, but they're kind of marketing it now, the the Speyside Way. And it does, it kind of, it walks along the river. Now, I don't know, I looked it up and I don't think it actually goes exactly by a lot of the distilleries. I think a lot of them you have to kind of maybe walk a few miles or maybe you'd have to kind of arrange a ride or something like that to take yeah. you. But you, there are there are tour companies that will kind of help you put something together if you want to do some walking and do the, the distillery tours and tastings. So, you know, if it's something that you're into kind of both, if you want to do some, some walking and, and walk for, you know, 5, 10, 12 miles in a day, and then go and, and have some <laughs> some whiskey and do a little tour and do a tasting, spend the night, then go on to the next place. You can do that. And this particular area too, I think you kind of also described it as this is a gentler kind of landscape as well. So it's not going to be quite as rugged. So it would be kind of a good place maybe to get out and, and do some walking and definitely taste some whiskey. It's yeah. my favorite. It's my favorite type of Scottish whiskey, I think. <laughs> yes, it's a, a milder, mellower mm -hmm. whiskey in many ways than some of the much heavier, smokier, peatier, peatier, peatier yeah. whiskeys that you get in other parts of Scotland. Right. 
So definitely um, to be recommended. And we were talking about fly fishing earlier on and the River Dee. Well, the River Spey is another very well-known fly uh, salmon fishing river. That's really why we were there last September, because I'm married (laughs) to one of these avid fly fishermen. So um, while I went off exploring other places, he was standing up to his waist in a, a a cold river, but you know, everybody <laughs> to finds own. things fun. Exactly, to each his own. To each his own, indeed. So, even if whiskey and and fishing are not your things, there are also uh, some castles and things in, in that area. I'd particularly mm-hmm. recommend Ballandalloch Castle. Now, it is a, a lovely castle with some beautiful gardens, and it also has a distillery on the estate, but it's not. It is open to the public, but you have to arrange a special tour because it's quite a small distillery and it's a private tour that they only do maybe once a day if they have, you know, you have to book as a a group for a private tour. So it's a little different from the bigger, more mainstream distilleries. But if you're really into your whiskey, you might want to just arrange that special experience at Ballandala. But the castle... And the grounds are lovely and they go down to the river and it's just very mm, nice. Sounds gorgeous. So if we go up more towards the, the Murray coast, right up to where the Spey comes out into the sea and then travel west towards Inverness, along that area there, there are a couple of other places I'd like to recommend, if I may. Sure. So one is Codder Castle, C-A-W-D-O-R, Codder. And again, Really, really nice gardens, um, even more so than Ballandalloch. These are beautiful gardens and a very interesting old castle mentioned in in Shakespeare and Macbeth Mm. Mm. and uh, with a great tour that they do there as well. They have really good guides. And so they can answer all sorts of questions about about the castle if you go for a little walk around. I think it's now, the last time I was there, they had just implemented an audio tour. And the guides who'd been working there previously were, are still working there, but now just really to answer questions. And the one that I spoke to was delighted to talk to me because he really missed actually guiding groups now that oh, they had implemented this audio tour. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah please, I would think, yeah, ask, ask, ask questions. questions. <laughs> <laughs> so Codder Castle is one, and, and just not far from Codder is a place that is really popular with Outlander fans, and that's Clava Cairns, because it is a stone circle, but it doesn't look anything like the stone circle that's mentioned in Outlander, because it's not the stone circle that's mentioned in Outlander. It's a stone circle that's close to Inverness, and so they assume that's the one that's meant to be in the story. Uh, But actually, often Outlander fans are a bit disappointed because the one that appears in the TV series was entirely man-made and it wasn't man-made. Really? I didn't know know that. I didn't know if it it, it existed. I would go anyway because I love stone circles. I don't care what they look like. I've seen all different kinds. (laughs) So uh, I'd go just so I could touch all the stones. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting. And these are just quite low down. They're just little stones. And it's more of a sort of, well, as it says, clava cairns, it's burial cairns, and they have interesting information boards. So that's worth stopping off at. And then as you head from there further west towards Inverness, you will pass Culloden Battlefield. And that, again, whether you're an Outlander fan or not, is worth a stop. 
um, it was one of the major turning points in Scottish history, the Battle of Culloden right. in 1746, and actually uh, one of the last major land battles in Britain. So um, they have a really interesting visitor centre that tells the story very well from both the government troops side and the Jacobite side. They have a cafe, they have restrooms, they have a nice gift shop, and then you can walk the battlefield as well. Sometimes with a guide, if they do do battlefield tours at particular times, or you can just take an audio tour and walk around yourself. There are cairns that mark, little stones that mark where the different clans fell during this major battle. And of course, the one dedicated to the Frasers has now had to be roped off since Outlander. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm not sure whether I should tell a story or not, Lynn, because I have a story about this. Yeah, I want to hear it. Go for it. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, I don't want, I, I'm assuming that any Outlander fans have got beyond the first couple of series. And so I don't want to have a spoiler here. But okay. So if you haven't, then don't listen. You come back to it after you've gone further. Okay. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Absolutely. So several years ago, when we really were not so aware of Outlander in Scotland, we're just starting to hear about it. One of my colleagues had a a group of Outlander fans at Culloden and he was doing a tour on the battlefield and he came to the bit where the clan Fraser Stone was and to his total amazement one of the women, I have to say they were from America, one of the women threw herself on the ground at this stone and said this is where Jamie died (laughs) (laughs) and and my, my colleague who was a guy he sort of looked at her in Total amazement, not really away until some of the other members of the group explained what this was all about. Now, of course, we know subsequently that although perhaps that was the impression at that time, Jamie did not die at Culloden. But, uh, you know, it's just one of these guiding moments that you hear about that you sort of think, oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so, but regardless of whether you're an Outlander fan or not, do stop off and have a look around Culloden. It's an important place in our history. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's yeah. a very, very important place in Scottish history. So, yeah. So if, if that's kind of your thing, or for those people who maybe have, you know, America, Canadians that have that Scottish lineage, you know, this is definitely a place that may yeah. be kind of important for you to go just to kind of have that that little experience and that connection to your ancestors. Absolutely. On that note, they have a, a, a list in the visitor centre there at Culloden of all the different clans that fought and which side they fought on, because, of course, they didn't all just fight for the right. Jacobites. Some of them yeah. supported the government side. And so if you know which clan you belong to, you can you can have a look at this list and see. You know, some yeah. of them even have individual names as well, not okay. just the clan names. So if you have a name of an ancestor that you, you know of, you can check that out in the visitor center. All right. Good advice. But if you're not so much into battles and things, then um, all along that coast at the the Murray, well, it's it's, um, called the Murray Firth, the stretch of water there that comes from Inverness out towards the North Sea and the Murray coast. All along there, 
especially the closer in you get to Inverness, where there's land again on the other side, then there are opportunities to spot dolphin. Mm. There's a pod of dolphins live in that area. And there are boat trips from different locations, either on the Inverness side or on the other side of the Firth on the area we call the Black Isle. And you can either from the shore or go out in a boat and often see dolphins. So now, is that would that be are there certain times of year that would be better than others? It doesn't seem so. They seem to be there you know year round. They're not migrating anywhere, so it's not like the whales or right. anything okay. like that, that you see in other places off the west coast, but know that it will maybe just depend on certainly a little bit on the the weather and the the time of year in terms of where the fish are and that where the fish are is where the dolphins will be right. so they may be right. further out in the firth if there are fewer fish close in but uh, you know that you can see them at at wow. all times of year yeah. so but there's no guarantees, of course. It's right. a little bit of course, like yeah. So many Absolutely. wildlife spotting things, you may not see them at all, but they are there. So, you know, just to let okay. you know something other than yeah. the battlefield. Yeah. And then and, we'll kind of end a little bit with Inverness and just yes. kind of mention that a little bit. Absolutely. So Inverness will often bill itself as the capital of the Highlands. It's really the main city for everywhere from there north and and quite far south actually as well that whole sort of northwest area is is um centered or managed from inverness that's where the, the local government is is based it's um a very much expanding town at the moment my husband is an invernesian and he doesn't recognize it hardly from uh, the town yeah. that he, he grew up in i can imagine and in terms of things to do and see in Inverness itself, probably fair to say fewer of those. It does have a couple of really interesting historic buildings in the town centre, but it's used more by visitors as a jumping off point to other parts of the Highlands, yeah. Yeah. either for day trips uh, and you know just using it as a base to stay in because like so many of these bigger towns, it has a range of B&Bs and hotels. Yeah. Uh, the railway comes there from Edinburgh, so you can catch the train. And the rail line pretty much follows the A9 as well So that we were talking about. So you still will go through all those other little towns that we've mentioned already today. Um, and if you're going further north, you'll probably need to change trains in Inverness to get the train all the way up to Thurso and the, the north coast. So Inverness is is very much the sort of place that is a base rather than a place right. to visit in its yeah. own right. And all the has lots of interesting stuff around about it, but within the town itself, less so. Yeah, I spent one night here when I was coming back from the northwest and then I was dropping off my car and then I was training down to to Edinburgh and I spent just one night there. And, you know, like Bo said, it, it's it's kind of a good place just to maybe um my personal opinion is I probably wouldn't want to base myself here, but to spend a night like in transit either going further north or going back to the south, it, it's a good place because there's 
you know, there's enough places to stay. There's a good array of pubs and restaurants. It's pleasant. I mean, there's, you know, like the water coming through and the bridge and everything. I remember I had a lovely sunset actually. It felt like I could look out yeah. my window. Yeah. The place I was staying was, I had a view right out onto the river and it was, and it was pretty. But again, it's not like there's not a whole lot there and all the stuff to really do is outside of there. Yes, but there is a lot to do if you did want to base yourself there for a couple of nights. You know, you there's a lot to do for you know a half day. Yeah, within easy distance of Inverness. So, if there are things you want to do, like Culloden and Calder Castle, even down to Speyside, or um, you know, well, we'll be talking about the Great Glen another time. But you down Loch Ness, that kind of thing, you can do from Inverness. But I agree, it's it's not a place to visit for just to visit anything in its own right. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, well, we're going to end there and Bo's going to come back on again and I'm going to keep bringing her back on because I'm just going to (laughs) keep making her talk about Scotland because it's such a great country. It's such a rich country. So she's going to come back on. We're going to tackle the rest of the Highland area. But um, Bo, uh, remind everybody where they can find you because you are a Blue Badge guide. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Lynn. Yes, I am a Blue Badge Guide, which means that I'm professionally qualified and insured to be a tour guide for the whole of Scotland. And although I live in St Andrews, I'm happy to take visitors anywhere in Scotland and to help them get a little more out of what they're seeing and experiencing around about. Because We've mentioned a lot of different places today, but there are so many more, Lynn. You know that. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so many more I can talk about. So I can help with anything from suggesting places for you to go to actually taking you there in a vehicle and explaining what it's all about when you get there. So my company is called Scotland Your Way. And you can find me on the website, www.scotlandyourway.com and also with the same name on Facebook and Instagram. And um, yeah, thanks, Lynn, for the opportunity to just uh, have a little shout out for Scotland Your Way. Yeah. And thanks again for coming on and talking more about about Scotland. Like I said, Bo's coming back. And if you missed the Lowlands episode, uh, that's episode nine. So go back there. And all the places that Bo mentioned in today's episode will be in the show notes. So stay tuned for that. Thanks again, Bo. Have a good one. Thanks, Lynn. So there is part one of the Scottish Highlands with our guide friend, Beau Frazier. And the second part will actually be coming out in two weeks. So if you love Scotland, then you're going to be excited to know that in another couple of weeks, there will be another episode and we will kind of pick up where we left off and cover the rest of the Scottish Highlands. I will say that there is still a lot of good actually great things that we are going to be covering in the part two episode. So do tune in again. And as always, I invite you to subscribe to the show if you have not already. And I invite you also to leave me a review. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, as the reviews help me 
grow the show and reach a wider audience. And who doesn't want to listen to some more inspiring travel, learning about destinations, maybe getting a few tips. So um, in this time where we're just maybe starting to be able to travel a little bit, but not quite there, this just kind of fuels that dreaming and gets us making our bucket list, right? (laughs) I can tell you that my Scotland bucket list has grown tenfold from talking to Bo and learning about all these places. I want to go everywhere now in Scotland. Maybe you do too. And if you feel like telling me all about all the places you want to go in Scotland, you can always hit me up over at wonderyourway.com. Drop me a note, email me at lynn at wonderyourway.com. I always love to hear from you. So... Until next time, happy travels. 